So we're going through the Ten Commandments, and we find ourselves in the second one. The first commandment last week we looked at has to do with worshiping the one true God. The second commandment today has to do with worshiping God only as he truly is. Now, there is a little bit of nuance, but it is different. We want to make sure that not only are we worshiping God, but we are worshiping God in the way he wants to be worshiped. If I gave my wife a box of coconut chocolates and she says, what is this? You know, I hate this. And I say to her, well, my ex-girlfriend loved it. I thought you'd appreciate it. Not so good. There is a difference. Not only are we commanded to love only God, but we are commanded to love him in a particular way, forsaking and not worshiping anything else. So here is a quote I think that really captures it beautifully. We must worship God according to who he is and not according to what we want him to be. In other words, we do not worship false gods and do not worship God falsely. John Lynn, he's a pastor in New York. A little Asian representation there for us, right? So let me show us a quick diagram to help us understand. The first commandment makes sure that we are worshiping the right God. The second commandment makes sure that we are worshiping him in the right way. Now they're similar, they're tied together, but they're unique. Right God in the right way. But here's one major component that they share, that if we fail or break either one, the first or second commandment, we find ourselves in the middle here, worshiping an idol, a false god. A couple examples of idols that we commonly see are, is, is money, work, our children, love, acceptance. An idol is something good that, that we make the ultimate. And I want us to keep this in mind as we go through not only today's word, but the commandments to follow. Listen, when our worship is in disorder, our lives are in disorder. So if today you feel like your life is in disorder, chaos, and it's a mess, there is probably something about our worship that is in disorder. Now, I don't want to diminish anyone's struggles or sufferings, but I think that we would be surprised to see how much of our depression, anxieties, and loneliness can be lifted by the one who was lifted upon the cross, by the one who was lifted the weight of sin, by the one who was lifted from the grave, by the one who was lifted up and now seated at the right hand of God, and there the one who now lifts intercession for you and I. Meeting various members in our congregation, and even in my own personal experience, I know many of us struggle with depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Now, I'm not saying that these struggles are only spiritual. I would never want to say that. I'm just saying that they are not only physiological, that there are spiritual components to the things we are struggling in. I'm not diminishing medication or counseling. These things are important and they're helpful. I'm just saying don't diminish the power of Jesus and the gospel today.
So today's gospel message is that Jesus is so much better than my idols. And I want to ask you to either say it to yourself or say it out loud, because we need to believe this, that Jesus is so much better than my idols. I can see everyone chose to say it to themselves. That's okay, as long as you're convinced. And we're going to look at this in three points. We're going to look at the second commandment. We're going to look at the heart that is behind this commandment. And they're going to look at the promise that God gives us. The command, the heart, and the promise. If we look at verses 4 in the first part of verse 5, this is what God says. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. We're being told that we should not create images of God because God cannot be captured. We should not try to encapsulate God by likeness of anything in heaven above, earth below, and under the sea. Because there is nothing that is sufficient to personify who God is. This is reminding us again with this language that God is the creator. He is wholly other than his creation. And nothing created can ever be in place of God. And God can never be reduced to something that is created. So we should not bow down to anything other than God. We should not serve anything created. We are called to serve God alone. So another good definition of an idol is is when we take something created and treat it like the creator. Now one thing I want us to pay attention here is that idols are made. It is made. We take something good and we make it ultimate. Do not make for yourselves. You know, the idols that you and I struggle with are are never as just simple as money, power, success, love. I mean, generally speaking, it is. But then it's also tailored to us, isn't it? It's like buying an off-the-rack suit or a dress. And then we take it to the tailor. And then we get it tailored to fit our needs, our wants, our desires. Many of us struggle with money, but the struggle is personalized to each individual. Money is an idol for some because we have too much of it, and for others because we don't have enough of it. Money can be a struggle for some in the ways how we spend it. But for some, money can be a source of an idol and a struggle for the reasons we don't spend it. In either case, We're ruled by it. I want us to pay attention to how we have personally tailored our idols to try to fit our needs. Because if it just stays in the realm of power, love, acceptance, money, and we don't realize that we have actually made it and tailored it for ourselves, we won't quite understand the interaction and the power it has over us. So idols are made created. But I think a lot of us think that idols are like geese poop. Some of you guys know in the spring or in the fall, we got a lot of geese out there. And with a lot of geese, there's a lot of geese poop. And there are times I pick up my son from the daycare and he says, watch out for the poops, daddy. Watch out for the poops. 
And some of you know, walking through the parking lot, it's like landmines. There's geese poop everywhere, and you're just like, woo, woo. Some of you guys who are a little more athletic might find yourself doing a little one of these. Sometimes we think avoiding idols is like this. Okay, I avoided an idol. Other of us think it's like this. If you don't know what it is, it's skip hop. You know, you have the thing, you twirl it, and you try not to hit it, keep it going. Hey, I know I look undignified right now, but I don't care because my identity is in Christ. You're not my idol. Okay, you see what I did there? We're so afraid to look undignified. But when we are worshiping idols, we particularly look undignified. Brothers and sisters, friends, idols are made. Idols are carved. We create it. We chisel it. We melt it and forge it. We shape it. We pour into it. We make daily deposits to it. We invest in it. We sacrifice for it. We build an altar and sacrifice to it. We compromise. We build it brick by brick by brick. We labor, we toil, we bleed, we sweat, we strive after, we breathe into, we give it life, we give it birth, we nurture it, we nourish it, we feed it, we tell others to feed it, we encourage it, we tell others to encourage it. We tailor it, we fine tune it, we check it, we double check it, we triple check it. We check it, check it, check it. We can't stop checking it, growing it praising it, asking of it. All the while, we are making it and growing it. One thing we have to remember is idols are not like geese poop. It's more like your own poop. Idols aren't something we just have to avoid and tiptoe over. We have to remember that this happens in subtle ways, throughout our lives, throughout our days, within the hours, at work, at home, at school. And we're being told and warned, don't make idols, because we're so prone to do that. If we look at an example from the Bible, just a few chapters later in Exodus 32, we see that the Israelites, we know the story, many of us have made a golden calf. Moses goes up to the mountain, getting the tablets made. People are like, hey, where's this Moses guy? He's 80 years old. He went, climbed up the mountain. It's been 40 days. He's probably not going to make it back. They look at Aaron, one of the young guys, and they say, hey, make us an idol. Make us some gods. Make us something so we can worship. He says, okay, everyone, man, woman, children, give me your gold. He melts it. He uses tools. He crafts it. He shapes it. He lifts it up. Not only that, he builds an altar and he says, okay, everyone, we're going to come and we're going to sacrifice to this golden calf now. So tomorrow, I'll wake up early, bring offerings, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to have a feast, and we're going to party. This is in our sinful nature, is it not? To build up an idol and to sacrifice to it. Brothers and sisters, friends, what are some of your idols that have been tailored to you that you find yourself sacrificing to over and over. It's so interesting, in a couple verses down, Moses comes down and he's infuriated. What's this golden calf? What are you guys doing? Aaron, what's going on? 
You know what Aaron says? Probably what most of us would say. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. Moses, you know they're crazy, man. You know they're evil. All they want is evil things. Aaron says, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. So I said to them, let anyone who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf, Moses. Oftentimes, we like to make a separation from our own idols as if they were created by accident, as if we worshiped them by accident. But this is not the case. We spent hours, we spent all of our resources building our idols. But Jesus is better than our idols. I want to look at point two. This is the command that God gives, but what is the heart behind it? If we look at the second part of verse five, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Reminder here, as we talked about two weeks ago, again, God refers to himself as the Lord your God. He is our God. It is personal. He's no longer just a creator engaging with his creation, you and I. He is saying, I am your God. And he says, I am yours. You are mine. I am jealous for you. I love you. We cannot separate the command from the heart. When God says, don't make an idol, he's saying, don't worship other things because I am better. Those things can't give you what I want to give you. I love you. I am jealous for you. And this is God's heart for you and for your children. He wants to free you, protect you, cherish you, provide for you. But he gives a warning here to all those who would not love the Lord in return that the punishment of the unfaithful parent will also fall on the children if they too hate the Lord. This is telling us that our children learn from us. If we hate the Lord and love idols, our children will probably also learn to hate the Lord and love idols. The Lord wants the parents now and even then to start thinking about what kind of things are you teaching your children? As you think about the generations that is to follow after you, some of you may be grandparents. What is the legacy you want to leave behind to your children, to your children's children, to the generation to follow? If I were to ask your children, I won't. What does daddy love the most? What does mommy love the most? From what you hear and see, what do they cherish? What would our children say? They care about my grades the most. They care about what college I go to, how much money we have, how much money we don't have. They care the most about their work, or they love the Lord. My parents are not perfect, but they love the Lord. The beauty is that there is also a blessing for the children who know God's heart and his commands. And so we're being reminded here 
that it's not just individuals that interact with idols, but when we interact with our idols, we often bring others around us, our friends, our family, and even our children. However, there is also a beauty in knowing that sometimes, actually, it is through the child's faithfulness that God saves the parents. And some of you guys are living testimonies of that, that the Lord is now using you to bring your parents to faithfulness, to love the Lord. Was Jesus not the promised child to save the parents, Adam and Eve, from their sins and the sins that were passed down to their children's and children's children? This is the Lord's heart, that he is jealous for you, he is jealous for your children, and he is jealous for those who are in the household of faith. He loves us. That's why he says, don't worship idols. So then he gives us a promise. We've heard the command. We've seen his heart. Now he gives us a promise. In verse 6, he says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What he's saying is, though those who are unfaithful will receive a punishment, those who indeed are faithful, those who remain in my love, I will love them with a steadfast love. I will love the thousands of them if you keep my commandments and if you love me. God's promise is that he will love us with a love that is steadfast. Think about your idols, whatever they are. Do your idols show you any love at all? Do your idols love you in a steadfast way? Or do, do they demand more of you, more hours, more money, more time, more of yourself, more sacrifices? God says, no. I promise you, if you follow after me, my love for you will be steadfast. This promise is for thousands who love him and keep his commandments. So here is the promise, but stay with me because now is the turning point. There is a problem, isn't there? There is a problem, even though we hear the promise. The problem is you and I, because of our sinful nature, because we're prone to wander, we will always break the first and second commandments. We will always find an idol and tailor it to ourselves because we're so bent on serving ourselves. The problem is that we can't keep God's commandments. Because of sin, we can't perfectly obey. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking that you'll always struggle with those certain idols you've called to mind right now, you're right. But the Lord shows us the misery of our idols. Why? Because he wants to show us that Jesus is better. Here's what we have to know when we go through the Ten Commandments. Here's what we have to know when we go through the laws. The commandments... Tell us what is right and wrong, but most of all, it tells us that we need a Savior. Let me say that again. When we think about the commandments and the laws of God, it tells us what is right and wrong. So we know what is pleasing to God. But most of all, it tells us that we need a Savior. That we need a Savior. 
It is only through the one man, Jesus, who kept the commandments that thousands can receive this steadfast love. Brothers and sisters, friends, the reality is that we will struggle to worship the right God in the right way our whole lives, but we are not left in this misery. Because of Jesus, there is a way for us to be faithful and grow in obedience. There is hope. God's promise is kept for you and I here, even though we break his commandments because he loved us and sent his one and only son for us to die on the cross for our idolatries. Get ready. I'm going to unleash a flood of encouragements and Bible texts here. So 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This is possible because Jesus kept the law perfectly on our behalf. And so Matthew 5.17 tells us, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, I have come to keep the law because you could not. So for us, we know now that we are no longer under this burden and guilt and misery of being unable to keep the law, but we're under grace. Romans 6.14 tells us, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. That means even though you and I continue to struggle with worshiping idols, and we continue to stumble, the reality is, if we turn to God through Jesus, those sins will not have dominion over us. They will not rule us, control us, master over us, because you and I, through Jesus, are not bound by the pressures to keep the law perfectly, but we are now bound faithfully to obey and trust in Christ, but then to repent when we fail. That's why 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, it is true, we can't perfectly upkeep the law. But what is also true is that because we have Jesus, when we fail, we can turn back to him. And here's the best part, when we turn from our idols into Jesus, the reality is that we are worshiping the true image of God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that he's the exact imprint of his nature. We don't need idols because we have Jesus. Jesus is better. He himself is God. We don't need idols. We have Jesus, who is the exact imprint of his nature, who was never created in the skies above the earth below or under the sea, but who was eternally begotten, is, and always will be. The one who was faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Jesus reminds us of this right now as we wrestle with our struggles. Jesus is the only way we can worship the only God in the right way. And so he calls us to himself this morning as we struggle and as we fail and as we try to turn to the Lord 
John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But when we come to Jesus, we know. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Hebrews, we're reminded as we continue to strive and work and make a living, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Joshua 1.19, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Do you remember how good and sweet the word of God is as it addresses our hearts? Jeremiah 29, 11, 13. This is declared to the people of God in some of their toughest times while they're in exile, while they're in the wilderness, while they're waiting to return home, much like you and I. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Idols can never say this. Idols are not living. They're not true gods. They can never hear your wants and desires, your prayers. They can never be truly found. They're evasive because they don't truly exist. And you'll never find them when you seek them. But Jesus is the one that we can find. Jesus is the one who hears us. Jesus is the one himself today reminding us, I love you. I'm better than those idols. And guys, we can be here all day. We can be here all day with reminders of how good he is. With reminders how through Jesus, although we may not be able to perfectly obey the law, because of his grace, we can grow in obedience. So this morning, I want to remind us that as we think about our idols, as we wrestle with it, as the Spirit makes it a little bit more visible to us that Jesus is so much better than your idols. He is so much better than our idols. Now let me get a little lyrical for you as we conclude. Oftentimes when I find myself consumed with different idols, I remember this song. Where the writer says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread way. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applaud. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain 
or be held in sin's, sin's dread way. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford today. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. Oh, then to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread way, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is better than your idols. Let's turn our eyes to him now and spend some time in prayer. I want to ask that as you meditate on the word of God, as you think about the things you carve and chisel and pour into and deposit and check and recheck and recheck, would you hear the tender, steadfast love of God that he will never leave or forsake you? As you think about your idols, can we repent and turn from them and go to Jesus? Can you resolve now that even as the days go and you find yourself stumbling again, that you would remember that Jesus is better than your idols, that you would turn from them and turn to Jesus? Let's spend some time in prayer. Let's pray.